Und diese Gesicht. Now in today's passage, Jesus introduces and juxtaposes two completely different men. And what I want us to do together this morning is to examine the character of these two men and establish what ultimately makes them so fundamentally different from each other. Now at times they are more visible than others as we go through the passage. So as we read it together, I want you to look out for them. And as we work through it together, I want you to consider carefully which more closely reflects your life. So with that in mind, let's turn together to Luke chapter 6, and we'll start reading from verse 37. If you have one of the church Bibles in front of you, it's page 1034. Luke 6 and verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For, with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's just pray before we continue. Father God, we come before you humbly this morning. And we pray that as we approach your word, you would give us open ears and receptive hearts. And we pray that by your grace, you would speak to us through your spirit and convict our hearts with the truth that is found in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, without further ado, let's meet the proud man in silhouette form at the beginning of verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. 
You see, he'd never say it out loud, and he wouldn't even admit it to himself. But deep down, he believes he's just that bit better than everyone else. After all, you wouldn't catch him tarnishing his good reputation by getting embroiled in the kind of debased behaviour that other people exhibit. He'd never make those kind of mistakes. And he denounces those who do. To boil it all down to one word, he is characterised by haughtiness. That is, arrogant superiority and disdain. Contrary to the warning that we read at the start of this passage, he is quick to judge and swift to condemn. We must take pause for caution and make a distinction between judgment and discernment. Let's be clear. These verses are not a license for indiscriminate attitude. Throughout the New Testament, we find frequent references to the importance of correcting those who are in error, dealing decisively with false teaching, and disciplining those within the church who persist in sinful living. Discernment is an essential part of holiness, both individually and corporately. So the prohibition of judgment here relates not to exercising discernment, but to fostering a censorious spirit which takes satisfaction from criticising others. And the question that we have to ask ourselves when we find ourselves passing judgment on others is this. Am I motivated by a desire for their ultimate good Or am I simply eager to cast the first stone? By way of contrast, at the end of verse 37 and into verse 38, we encounter the humble man. Forgive, it says, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. You see, the humble man is all too aware of his shortcomings. And this awareness informs his actions. Instead of standing in judgment over others when they stumble, he reaches out in forgiveness. And rather than writing others off in a spirit of condemnation, he seeks to build them up with a spirit of generosity. And we see in verse 38 that this charitable attitude brings its reward. Look at it with me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We have here the reassurance that God sees and richly blesses this countercultural approach. And so we have the proud man, the haughty man, and the humble man. Moving forward, I want to look at the proud man and the humble man in verses 39 and 40. But before we do, a quick challenge to see where we're headed next. Can anyone identify the uh, well-known phrase which this dingbat represents? Related to the passage, it's not just totally random. 
Absolutely, Fiona, well done. Pride comes before a fall. Just checking you're all awake. So, in verse 39, we read Jesus telling them a parable. Can a blind man, he says, lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? You see, the proud man's trademark arrogance doesn't stop with a superior attitude. In fact, haughtiness imbues him with an unswerving assurance in his own wisdom. He boldly pursues his own path without heeding the warnings that come his way. And he isn't just content to head off on his own, but he confidently pulls others along with him, so convinces he that he knows the right way forward. And as we see in verse 39, the end result is disastrous for all involved. To boil it down to one word again, we see that he is characterized by hubris, that is, excessive pride or self-confidence. He leads blindly and others blindly follow. Now in verse 40, we get a hint towards the contrasting attitude of the humble man. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. You see, the humble man, instead of staking his confidence on his own knowledge and abilities, he patiently follows in the footsteps of his teacher, constantly learning as he goes. And over time, this process leads to transformation such that the faithful follower takes on the likeness of his wise master. So we have the humble man and the proud man. We have the humble man and the man who is characterized by hubris. Moving on once more, let's learn about the proud man in verse 41 and 42. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrites. You see, haughtiness and hubris prove to be a potent combination. Together, they convince the proud man of the inherent fallibility of others and his own inerrancy. And as a result, he is quick to find fault in others and unable to identify it in himself, making him a hindrance rather than a help. In one word, he is characterized by hypocrisy which is the pretense of virtue and piety. He can't help but notice the speck that is in his brother's eye, but he is completely blind to the log in his own. By contrast, at the end of verse 42, we see the right response of the humble man. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. You see, the modesty of the humble man allows him to acknowledge and address the issues in his own life, 
And having done so, he's then in the position to be able to carefully and lovingly assist others to do the same. So, so far, we have seen that the proud man is characterised by haughtiness, hubris and hypocrisy, which prove detrimental both to him and those around him. And by contrast, the humility of the humble man leaves both the personal blessing and communal benefits. It's as we read in James chapter 4, verse 6, quoting Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I think the obvious question that we're left with at this point is, how can we be more like the humble man? Because no one sits here and thinks, the proud man, there's a great example to follow. And I think the answer that comes is clear in verses 43 to 45. So let's just pause for a moment and read them together. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. It's a simple fact. A fig tree produces figs. Not that we've ever seen one. An apple tree produces apples. A pear tree produces pears. And just in the same way, a good person produces good from the good treasure in his heart, whilst an evil person produces evil from the evil treasure in his heart. It's simple logic. So how then do we ensure that we have a heart which is full of good treasure? Is it something that we can obtain through well-meaning endeavour and discipline? Absolutely not. You see, the Bible makes it clear that heart change is a work that only God can bring about. Now, Ezekiel chapter 36 gives us some useful insight here. In this chapter, God is talking to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, who have been living in open rebellion against him. And from verse 25, he begins to outline how he is going to reconcile them back to himself. So let's read it together. It's up on the screen. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This verse isn't up on the screen. (laughs) And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, in order to transform rebellious and disobedient people into obedient and faithful children, radical intervention is required. God has to remove our hearts of stone that are cold and hardened and unresponsive to him. And in their place, he 
transplants a heart of flesh. A heart that is warm and tender and responsive to his loving instruction. And it's only then through the power of the Spirit working in our new hearts that we can follow God's decrees and we can keep God's laws, thus producing good fruit in our lives. And any attempt to produce good fruit without that transformation of a new heart is destined to failure. The author and pastor Paul Tripp likens it to stapling good fruit to a bad tree. He says, the next spring, I won't see a new crop of healthy apples because my solution hasn't gone to the heart of the problem. If the tree's roots remained unchanged, it will never produce good apples. And it's just the same with our hearts. The only way that we can become like the humble man and produce good fruit in our lives is through a change in heart that only God can bring about. And all we have to do is come to him in repentance, acknowledging our inability to live good lives of our own accord and accepting the forgiveness which is ours through Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life that we could never manage and bore the judgment for our rebellion when he died on the cross, before rising victoriously from the dead and defeating the power of sin and Satan once and for all. But I wonder whether, for those of you who are already Christians, if that all sounds a bit neat and tidy, and perhaps it's difficult to relate to the reality of your daily life. After all, verse 45, it makes it sound so effortless. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. It sounds easy, doesn't it? And yet the experience in my life is much less clear-cut than that. And I dare say it's the same for many of you. And in particular, having examined my own heart over recent weeks in the light of this passage, I found that all too often my thoughts and my speech and my actions are more akin to those of the proud man than they are the humble man. And as a supposed ambassador of Christ, that's a sobering thought. So with this in mind, once we've been given new hearts, what can we do to nurture good fruit in our lives? What can we do to emulate the humble man having had our hearts transformed? Well, I think we get the hint in verse 45. So bear with me as we read it once more. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. You see, this verse explains that our behaviour is not just dictated by the nature of our hearts, but also by the treasure with which they are filled. 
Our thoughts and our words and our actions, all of our behaviour is essentially the overflow of the content of our hearts. And if this is the case, then the most effective way to cultivate good fruit in our lives is to fill our hearts to the brim with good treasure. So what does that look like? Practically speaking, what can we do? Well, first and foremost, I think it involves regularly reminding ourselves and meditating on the truths of the gospel. Because it's easier to forgive when we recall that Christ has forgiven us a far greater debt than we could ever repay. And it becomes more natural to exhibit a spirit of generosity when we remind ourselves that the Father gave up his only precious Son so that we could be reconciled to him. And we will more readily submit ourselves to God's plan for our lives rather than just charging off in our own direction when we remember that Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross so that we could be set free from slavery to sin and have life to the full now and forever. And it's certainly easier to identify the shortcomings in our own lives when we spend more time gazing at our incomparable and perfect saviour. You see, we've been saved from having to make much of ourselves like the proud man, from having to worry about our own reputation and the good that we want others to see in us. And we are gloriously free to humbly make much of Jesus. And so, in closing, I want to leave you with a simple question. How is your heart? When I ask that in a week, someone starts rummaging in their bag to pick out a big list of cardiac medication. <laughs> but I'm not talking about your dodgy ticker this morning. How is your heart? Have you ever come before God with empty hands, convinced of your absolute need for him, and asked him out of his grace, and mercy to transform your heart. Because if not, I want to impress on you this morning the fundamental importance of doing so. Because the path that you are on without Christ leads only to destruction. But if you have, if your heart has been transformed, I want to ask you, are you constantly filling your heart with pure gospel truth, undiluted? Or have you topped up with the wisdom of the world? What is it? What is the treasure that is overflowing from your heart and which is seen by the people around? I want to finish with these words from Philippians chapter 2, resounding in our ears and reverberating in our hearts. Paul says, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you with contrite hearts and we are so very aware this morning of the pride which so often characterises what we think, what we say and what we do. And yet, Father, we thank you that in and through the salvation that has been won for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have new hearts, hearts of flesh, hearts that are responsive to you. And so we pray that as we have been reminded of your gospel this morning, the wonderful truth of Jesus' sacrifice for us, that that gospel truth might overflow from us and that it might permeate into every area of our lives and that it might bring about in us a true and godly humility which enables us to seek the interests of others before ourselves and to humbly glorify our great, our glorious, our precious Saviour in whose name we ask. Amen.